Welcome to Changing Your Dreams, Parenting a Child with Special Needs, a podcast where we shine a light on the unique grief of special needs parents that few people recognize and no one really talks about. I'm your host, Laura Kitts. How do we live a beautiful life with chronic stress and grief? How do we nurture ourselves while we nurture our children? How do we make ourselves a priority when they need so much? My guests and I will discuss this chronic, ever-renewing grief, transforming your dreams, and how to take care of yourself along the way when parenting a differently abled child. This episode is sponsored by Flight Club. Join a circle of friends who understand you and your life as a special needs parent. Combine that with monthly guest experts, live self-care accountability sessions with me, and easy, actionable assignments to help you emerge from the hard work, transformed, just as the butterfly from her chrysalis, and you've got Flight Club. My guest today is Wendy Steinberg, also known as the caffeinated college coach. Wendy's the mom of three boys who all carry some sort of diagnosis. We talk about her journey through finding answers for her son's developmental delays, the pile of grief that she's carried, how she lost herself along the way, and what it means to be a single mom of children with special needs. Let's get to it. Hello there, Wendy. You're here, um, and I appreciate it. We got to know each other through a program that we were both in, Um, and I found out that you have a child with special needs and you volunteered to be on my podcast. And so I just want to say thank you. And I'm excited to talk with you today. So tell us, tell us about your role as a parent. Who are your children? Okay. So I have three boys. I have a 17 year old son named Maxwell. I have a 14 year old named Hayden and I have an 11 year old named Noam N O A M. It's not Noah, but it's Noam. Um, And they all have um, something, um, but my oldest, Max, it was, he's the one who has special needs. Then my other two children, um, you know, they have ADHD and some anxiety issues, but, you know, looking around um, with my peers and other families, that's actually more normal than, than not. So. And so what are Max's needs? Okay, so when Max was six months old, it was just really identified that he just had global developmental delays, you know, and so um, as his mom, I just kind of hit the ground running with trying to get into a pediatric uh, physician, but there was this seven month wait. And so even though it was identified in September, we didn't get in till March. And once we were there, it was determined he would need um, speech, OT, PT, just to kind of jumpstart because he was just behind on some of those milestones. Okay. So I didn't really think anything of it. So I actually stopped working. I was working at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, and um, decided to be a stay-at-home mom so that I could focus on Max and his needs and whatever. It actually became like a process of elimination. You know, we would um, 
go to different specialists and just kind of knock things out like um, Coffin Lowry, Fragile X, um, Williams, you know, whatever. I mean, there were some, we're Jewish. So there were a couple genetic uh, disorders that, you know, are specific to the Jewish population. And so pretty much every blood test, every specialist we saw, it was just checking things off the list to kind of How did that things. feel? How did that feel at that time? This is your first baby. He's, he's not even a year old or maybe right at a year old. And, and you're not really getting answers necessarily in the doctor's eyes, you are getting answers because they're like, well, it's not this, it's not that, but that's good. You don't want to have this or that because those right. aren't really fun. Right. But as a mom, did you want to know what was happening? Like what was, what, what he really had so that you could really address it? Or were you okay with this process? Um, I was actually so clueless. Okay. Um, absolutely clueless. I did not listen to my intuition at all. And looking back, I don't want to shirt on myself, but I should have listened to my gut a little bit more. So when he was just a few weeks old, like he had some mucus and stuff and the doctor's like, oh, that'll work itself out and comes to find out it, it attributed to his aspiration of food, his ability to eat properly, his low um, tone in his mouth and body and whatever. So right. part of me was like, okay, I'm doing my, my work. I'm doing everything I can checking it off the list. They say to go to this person. I do. They say to go here. I do. I'm going to speech OTPT twice a week. We're, we're kicking it. It's amazing. You know, you hear that that early intervention window is so small so those three years, I'm just like driving him everywhere and anywhere, feeding specialists, everything like, and so I really, looking back, I, I don't even know if I had time to think or feel right because I felt this intense pressure to fix him and get everything done within these three years and blah, blah, blah. And, the pressure, yeah. I'm so glad you said that because it just brings flooding memories back to me. We have a very paralleled story at, at our kids' uh, time of life at, that you're talking about. And um, you kind of forget once, you, once they get to, you know, yours is 17, yeah. mine's 19. And that was, a, that was ages ago, right? That was like four right. lifetimes ago. <laughs> so, but it makes me remember that time of the, you know, 25,000 therapies a week and the, the feeding and everything that you mentioned. And and how you're just so exhausted and so like living in a fog of just got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. And the pressure of that time frame, the pressure of that early intervention window is so huge. And that's what I had forgotten about. It's a feeling of desperation. It really is. I remember feeling very desperate. And that's not a good feeling to have. Looking back now, I know for sure that yes, early intervention is very important. It's very important, but that window doesn't close. 
And that's what I really want other parents to know. My daughter's 19 and she is still making gains. She's still doing new things that she's never, ever done before. And I wish I would have known that then. I wish I would have known when she was really little that she wouldn't, that 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 window wouldn't close, the doors wouldn't close, that she would always be able to learn new things because that feeling of desperation is just horrible. It really is. Yeah. So go on. Um, He was little, you were in this kind of fog. Right. Um, And to compound this feeling, like you said, it's definitely desperation. It's definitely, you feel like the clock is ticking, um, is external commentary. I think this is what really um, angered me. Um, And I didn't address it right away because I was thinking friends and family are coming from a good place, right? And, you know, I was in the picture. I couldn't see the picture. So everybody is telling me what I need to do and go and this and that and what books I need to read. And I'm just overwhelmed. And it it just wasn't even friends. It was like um, my then spouse, you know, he didn't quite understand that, um, yes, Max needed speech therapy at seven months old. He did. You know, this was setting the foundation, the groundwork for him to get those skills when he's actually able to process everything that's been put into him. So I got a lot of pushback from him because he just didn't see the value in it. And um, I think he was expecting like immediate results. So that that didn't happen either. And so I... um, I actually became um, cynical and grumpy when people would um, just give me their opinion about my child. Have you tried this? I mean, we went bonkers. I even did um, case and free, um, all of this stuff. You know, I, I shopped at Whole Foods for a year. I was spending $400 a month just on Max's food. We saw no difference, you know. Um, The fact that he was potty trained at six instead of three and that constant judgment from family. Well, when are you going to potty train? Like, oh my God, I'm just trying to make it through the day. Yes. Right. You know, and just stop. Like, it was like nobody could accept him for who he was at that point in time. And for some reason, as his mother, not even his dad, but his mother, I was, I don't know if I was blamed or seen as not doing enough, but I was like, oh my gosh, I have given up my career at this point. I had since had another baby. Um, I am trying so hard to potty train this child that it actually got to a point where I hired an OT she helped us for a whole weekend and by the end of the weekend he was day trained mm-hmm. you know we continued to night train him over the summer we hired a para to follow him in school so that he could get potty trained in school i mean the money you spend is like 
um, we used to call him our walking mortgage because <laughs> he was in private school. And then the therapies that weren't paid for, we paid out of pocket. So I can I tell you what he went through? The therapies yeah. we put him in, is that okay? Uh, yes. Okay, so we did a private school in Denver. We had moved back for a little bit, came back to Ohio. So we did a private school. We did speech therapy, occupational therapy, um, physical therapy. We did hippotherapy, which is an OT assisting him on a horse to give him strength, internal strength, his vestibular strength. Uh, that was not paid. That was not under insurance. We did aqua therapy. Um, his his respite care prefer person who I adore still, like she would get in with him because um, they needed that extra help just for Max. We did art therapy, music therapy. Um, you know what? I, I, I just, it, it goes on and on because I did social skills classes for him. I drove an hour each way to this location so he could have that feeding therapy. I mean, um, I, I don't even know. I mean, I didn't even know some of these existed. It's mind numbing at this point, isn't it? It really is. Um, yeah. And when you're in it, you just do. You just do all the things because right. you have to do all the things. You're on autopilot. Back and think, for the love, how mm -hmm. on earth did I do all that? I don't even know. Yeah. We do need to give ourselves grace for those kinds of things, for... Yeah needing to like take naps every day or right you know whatever whatever other people don't think is normal or whatever right. society is judging and you know there's so much to talk about that you've just shared you know there's the judgment there's especially from family um, and how people just don't understand um, and and then there's you know, probably a lot of perceived judgment that might not even have been there, but we feel that because we do feel so guilty, right? Like we feel so guilty that our kid isn't doing, you know, what everything, you know, because then we're like, am I doing enough? You know, you're running yourself ragged for Pete's sake, but you still mm -hmm. feel like maybe I'm not doing enough, right. but we are enough. You are enough. You were enough then. You're enough now. Everybody was listening. You are enough. Um, Let me ask you, um, with each um, milestone that wasn't met, I mean, I know you ask, you're you going to ask me to talk about this piece of grief. It, it's constant. It is so constant. Even way back when he wasn't potty trained on on time, right? When he wasn't potty trained on time. And then he uh, was ignored in his mainstream classroom. When he was, there was some aspects of abuse with a daycare provider. And how do you get past that? The grief, the, I think only recently, um, and it's been 14 years since then, that I'm finally at a point where I can actually think without cringing. <clears throat> And so you think like he'll never date because he won't never drive. He might go to a college or a vocational college um, or some sort of uh, program through his high school. Um, but, you know, he'll be living with me and I'm applying for his guardianship. And it's just 
it is, it's, it's a tremendous amount of grief that I don't know how people handle it. Yeah, it, it's just, you know, I, I, I talk all the time about how it's just really a unique form of grief that really, it, it just holds a place for special needs parents. I can't honestly think of another group of people other than perhaps a person living with a disability themselves that has to continually, you know, overcome constantly, but no other type of typical grieving, you know, if you lose someone um, to death, it's such a different kind of grief um, because yeah. like you said, it's just ever renewing. It's yeah. just one thing to grieve on top of another thing to grieve on top of another thing to grieve because as they get older, like you said, the more things that they move through in life, the more things that aren't normal. And yeah. so, you know, and then you just like, just like me, you have two younger kids um, who are about the same ages as my two younger kids. You have three boys. I have three girls. Um, you know, and when, and when the little kids start passing up their sibling yeah. with thing after thing after thing, it happens a ton when they're little, you know, with yeah. the walking and the potty training and the, you know, the eating whatever they want and stuff like that. But, but then there's this lull, I think, kind of mid, mid-age elementary school through, through middle school. And then, and then it's those teenage years that are really hard again. Yeah. All the grief piles back up, like you just named those things, you know, no driving, no dating, no marriage, no sleepovers, no best friends. And that's been really hard for me too. That really opened up a lot of grief for me. Um, and so I can see that in you too. Um, and your question of, you know, how do we get through that? Um, I believe the first thing is for us to recognize it because I don't, I just don't think that it's something that people are talking about and that is recognized um, really in our community. You know, it, it took a huge catastrophic event for me to realize that it was there and piled up for so many years. So <clears throat> I, that's why I'm here. That's why we're here. That's why I asked you to be on this podcast. That's the whole point of this podcast is to just really try to bring awareness to that for people to understand, um, you know, that it exists for people to be able to recognize it in themselves and in loved ones that yeah. they have. Um, because then for me, being able to recognize it changed the way I looked at myself. It changed the grace that I gave to myself. It changed um, the, you know, the way I treated and thought about things um, that I was doing. I, it took off so much pressure from myself. Um, I take a lot more naps. Yeah. I really do. I, I take a lot of naps. I am a big proponent of napping. Um, but just because that's what my body needs. Yeah. You know, um, and that could look different for other people, but being able to understand that you are grieving mm -hmm. and what a toll that puts on your body. And so, you know, just think if you were, if one of your friends lost their child, if you have a friend, I, you know, sadly have friends who have lost their children. And it's horribly devastating. Yeah. And my sister passed away. And so I, you know, I think often of my mom who mm -hmm. lost a child, you know? Yeah. 
And so would you look at that friend or that loved one in a week and say, okay, chop, chop, back to life. You got a lot of stuff to do. Let's get going. Can I speak to that? Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. So I, I don't want to, uh, I guess, categorize myself as like a lifetime movie, but um, I will share with you other loss that I've had since um, having Max and things like that. So um, I got married in 2001 and a week before my wedding, my brother passed away. And so he passed away very suddenly and it, it really just put a damper on the wedding, on the honeymoon, if you could even call it that. Um, and it was just uh, incredibly devastating. A few years later, my sister passed away suddenly and I had had Max by that point. So she had been able to see her nephew and, and things of that. But my parents had lost two kids at that point. And um, uh, then in June of 2009, uh, four days after I gave birth to my third child, my mother died. And then three years later, my father did. So um, I have had those comments that are simply unnecessary. I had them from my ex-husband. Literally, I remember getting off the plane and he picked me up. We walked in the house. And I was just done sitting Shiva because in the Jewish faith, we sit for a week to mourn the loss of, of those who died. And he immediately said, okay, you're back on now. And I, and I was just like, I, I don't even know my name right now. I just lost my father, which was the last of my immediate family. And um, there was really no time to process you know, after the death of my brother, I went right into my wedding. You know, um, I had a little bit more time with my sister. Definitely no time with my mom because I had just had a baby. And then my father, um, and he was in Denver. So I'm going back and forth and I have three small children. And, you know, I I don't even know. And, and I do think your point about how you retain this trauma in your body, the grief, it's, it's so spot on. I mean, I've had my back go out. I've had migraines. I have, you know, the left side of my body is constantly tingling. Um, I would try and take naps and I wasn't allowed to. I needed downtime, I needed rest. And even my friends were like judging me. You're in bed at 7.45 at night. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. My children are asleep and I'm asleep. I don't need to get up and go walking just so that you feel better about yourself. You know, um, and it has taken me a long time to realize that my response to my children has been based off of what other people have told me they see, um, you know, it's been just heartbreaking. And I'm finally at a point now, I mean, I'm 49. It took me a very long time, but I'm finally figuring out that nobody's 
viewpoint, including their dad, matters because I can see their potential. I can see how absolutely delicious and yummy my kids are. And nobody's going to tell me that they don't like my kids because then guess what? You're not, not part of my circle. Exactly. So. Wow. I know that's a lot. It's a lifetime. That's a lot. lot. (laughs) It is. I, you know, my brain's trying to catch up with all of that, honestly, right now. Um, Those mine. Or all of that. And you had no other siblings, right? Like you said, you're the last of your family. So sorry. And then you've got this kiddo who's not potty trained at three, for heaven's sake. And let me just say, I have a 19 year old who's not potty trained. So the fact that he's potty trained, period, I don't give a bleepity bleep what age he was when he got potty trained. Heavens to Betsy, that is a lifelong skill. It is. I mean, he was six. Who cares? How old is he going to live to? You know, like standard age, likely. Um, And, uh, you know, to be able to be toileted, you know, toilet trained is is huge. It's Mm -hmm. huge for dignity as they're older. It's huge for, you know, having, being able to have privacy, you know, when you have an adult child in diapers, you just think about their lack of privacy and, you know, that's another loss. So good for you. And congratulations that he can do it himself as a, as a grown man at this point. Right. Right. You don't have to do that with him. So that's, and I won't complain about his aim at least he's in the bathroom. You know what I mean? That's it. Buy a bigger bowl. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Awesome. Well, I want to also kind of backtrack. You mentioned a couple of times um, their dad and that you have, and that you are divorced now. Mm-hmm. Um, can we talk about that? Sure. So when did you get divorced? You know, you mentioned a couple of things here and there. He wasn't super supportive, didn't understand the need for speech therapy and a baby, which can be kind of confusing. But you think yeah. as a parent, when you're living the life and the kid has aspiration and isn't eating properly and that sort of thing kind of explains itself. But um, can you, you know, just share with us, you know, when, when did you get divorced? And because now you're, now you're a single mom um, of three boys who all have some kind of needs. I mean, I know that the, the anxiety sadly is all too common. The ADHD sadly is all too common across the board. I agree with you thinking of all my friends and their kids, and it's just really quite common. Um, but I too have a kiddo with severe anxiety and it it's just because a lot of people have it doesn't mean that it's not a lot of work. It's still a lot of extra work. Yeah. So just, you know, share whatever you want to share about that. Okay, so um, we were married 17 and a half years, and um, I, I had asked him for the divorce. It wasn't him asking me. Um, I had felt at that point um, that I was not being supported, um, that this constant running and doing and going I mean, I was working a 
full-time job, sometimes three kids, three schools, three different schedules, therapies, and he's working from home, you know, and the support that I was expecting um, wasn't given. And so we did go to therapy. We, in the last 10 years, um, before we were divorced, we went to several therapists to try and articulate what our needs were, what our expectations were, and things like that. Um, and I never thought I'd get divorced. Um, his parents were married for 54 years, mine 43. It just wasn't something you did. Um, but at a certain point, um, our house had that very chaotic feeling. Um, nothing was calm, nothing was regulated. Everything was very reactionary. Um, and it, it just wasn't healthy anymore. And so in March, well, no, in November of 17, I asked for a divorce and I moved out in March of 18 with my boys. Um, he chose to stay in the home and we moved to a two bedroom, one bath apartment. We're still here. I'm still looking for a house. It's good, to, good stuff. Um, and in the Jewish faith, we are, we are um, when you're married, you not only are married civilly because you, you apply for your marriage license, but then you have something called a ketubah, which is the Jewish marriage contract. And so in order to get divorced in the Jewish faith, you have to um, get a get. So your husband has to give you this get, which um, allows you to remarry or do whatever you need to do. You just need to get the get. So I got my get in July of 18. And so is it spelled G-E-T? Um, some people spell it G-E-T or G-E-T-T. Um, I just want to make sure people yeah. who are only listening and can't yeah. see you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, understand what you're saying yeah, if they're not familiar sure. with the Jewish faith. Right. Okay. So, so it's called a get G-E-T-T, we'll say. Right. Um, so I, I actually had the Jewish divorce before I had civil. Okay. And then January 8th of 19, I was civilly divorced. And so not um, even a, it's right out a year now. Two, well, it's two oh, years. Two, It'll be two 19, years. 19. Yeah. Yeah. So I know me too. I was like, <laughs> I mean, 2020 lasted about 50 years, but I, know. It, I just disappeared it from your, from your story. Exactly. Okay. Got it. <laughs> Two right. years. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, it's still very new with boundaries and expectations. Again, um, I am their custodial parent, their residential parent. The kids do see him twice a week and every other weekend. And um, we live a mile from each other because we are in an Orthodox Jewish community. So part of our um, shared parenting plan is that we're to live no further than two miles from our synagogue, which we do. And so then the boys are able to see their father and you know his family whenever he has them so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so just more loss for you yeah yeah, yeah. more grief yeah that's a lot
It is. Um, because it wasn't just about Max and what his needs were and all of those expectations that weren't met, but it became um, a very personal dialogue towards the end where um, what I needed to do wasn't sustainable in the marriage. Um, I couldn't juggle everything that he had hoped I could and lose weight and work and all of these things and laundry and dinner. I mean, I was going shopping um, at 9 p.m. at night, 9, 10 p.m. at night because, you know, I was doing laundry constantly and working full time. And I mean, I was just, I don't even know how I made it. I have to be really honest. I, I felt crazy. I felt chaotic. I couldn't meet anybody's needs. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Um, you know, it's just been one long stretch of that for you, really. Yeah. You might have had a, a little reprieve, but not really because you were living in that environment. So it was, it was constantly there. And so two years, you know, kind of seems like a long time, but really it's not. Really it's not. Two years. Yeah. I mean, if you think of the birth of your child until they were two, that was like a blip on the radar so long ago, right? So two years is not a lot of time. It's not a lot of time to process grief. Mm -hmm. It's not a lot of time um, to figure out how to live a new life. Right. Um, and you're living in a, a small place with, I won't say three grown men because your youngest is 11. So mm -hmm. he's still, he can still be your little boy. And he is. <laughs> he he really still is. But the other two are, are pretty much grown men. Um, right at this point, getting there, if not already there. Um, so that's tight and that's a big adjustment for everyone. Mm -hmm. How are the boys doing with that? With Max? With the, just, with, with oh, the adjustment okay. of the um, divorce. The energy is definitely different. Um, I always had a saying when we were as a family, the five of us, um, that we just don't listen to the negative. That can't be part of our internal dialogue. So anytime one of my boys would come to me, I'm like, we just don't listen to that. That's someone else's projection upon you. It's not you. And so um, we still use that phrase as we transition from home to home. And I think they're doing okay. I mean, I remember them saying um, that they, they feel better. They just, there's just a different, um, like I said, energy around us. Now we're, we're very much on top of each other, um, but hopefully I'll have a house soon. I'm looking at that. And um, my work has been so flexible and generous. Um, I did go through this whole divorce process um, while working and um, my colleagues were just so supportive um, I had a group of friends that was remarkable. Um, and I, I just really tried to make sure that my kids had what they needed. So um, I remember telling my youngest son's school that I don't care how he does academically. I want you to support his emotional development um, and this was in the spring of 18. 
And, you know, I feel very blessed that this particular child um, loves learning. And so no matter what he was learning, even if it wasn't in a structured environment. Um, but I really just asked his principal to implement um, a very safe space and a sacred space for him at school. And um, good for you. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, that's great. So how are you? Two years out. Um, I feel much better about myself. I think there were um, some aspects of my marriage and I am not blame free. I take responsibility for how I chose to behave in that marriage. Um, even though I was in therapy for a long time, I'm still in therapy. Um, I think I'm okay. Uh, I will say that, you know, you and I met through Made to Do This with Kathy Heller. And I didn't know in August who she was. It just kind of popped on my Facebook and I signed up and I didn't know how I would pay for it because I work part-time at a college, 29 hours a week. It's an hourly, I don't have benefits. Um, I have three kids. They're all in private school because um, well, Max's school is for special needs. And so his school is private. And then the other two go to Jewish day schools, which I have three kids at three schools with three tuitions. And I just really didn't know how I was gonna pay for, for Kathy's program. But in a way it kind of saved me because I was really in the fetal position in August. Um, I felt so bad about myself and just kind of seeing this community of men and women who had so much potential and energy and goals and love. I just, I think that helped me in um, reshaping how I allowed people to dictate my life because I did give my power over so easily to other people because it was like, oh, okay, you tell me not to, oh, fine. And then I don't have any um, skin in the game, you know? And I'm like, oh, well, she's respond. She told me. No, now I want to take ownership. Now I can see that um, there might be something of worth here, you know, and I'm, I'm working on it because, um, you know, after a failed marriage and the constant loss, um, you know, I have to figure out who I am again. Yes. Yes. Really find who you always were. Mm, yeah. Yeah. yeah she just was not allowed to shine for a long time I think so you mentioned Kathy's program so I like I said yeah we met in that program and, and the made to do this program uh, is for people to learn how to start their own business yeah and so what are you what are you starting just tell us briefly about that Okay, um, I've been a college administrator um, for like over 20 years. So I've worked in residence life. I've worked in women's programming, multicultural affairs. Currently I'm an advisor um, at Cincinnati State and it's a community college and I love it. I love my students and, and everybody I work with. Um, 
So uh, I also have a, a fierce love of coffee. <laughs> I think it's, it's just, it's absurd. It's just, I, I need to stop. Not really, but <laughs> I do. I love it. And um, so I created a community called the Caffeinated College Coach. And what I love doing is helping people navigate the college process. So whether you're a traditional age student with parents and you need this information, um, I'm more than happy to help you. I was just on the phone last night with a with a young woman from our community and, and she needed help with FAFSA and, you know, competitive admission into a respiratory therapist program and all of this stuff. So um, I just love it. I really love it. And, and so I'm starting in January, what I call a winter college cohort where one day a week students and I will navigate the issues that are um, specific to them, like the application, the essay, college resources, things like that. And then there'll be a day where parents and I will talk about other things as well, like FERPA, financial aid, um, and then just kind of sprinkle it with college swag, some happiness, highlight different coffees and coffee shops, and just, you know, really just try and, and make the process a little bit more manageable and digestible and fun. That's all. And and understandable and not so yeah. overwhelming. It can um, be, yeah. Yeah, my kiddos aren't old enough yet, um, but I remember, um, you know, I was the first person in my family to go to college. And so I had, I had no idea what yeah. anything meant. And so if anyone's listening who has no idea what some of those things are that she rattled off like I don't, then get in touch with her. If you have kids who are getting older, <laughs> she can help Thank you understand you. what all of those things are. That so tell us, tell us again, the name of, of your business that you're starting caffeinated, the caffeinated college coach, caffeinated college coach. I love it. So, okay. Yes. Thank you. And they can find you under that name on social media, right? Instagram is caffeinated underscore college underscore coach. And then um, there is a private Facebook group. So um, my full name is Wendy Sue Friedman Steinberg, which is a mouthful, um, <laughs> but that's how to find me on Facebook. And then if you're interested, you can, you know, DM me and I'll put you in the group. That's awesome. And I, I don't want to let you go yet. I know we sort of did that um, end up, you know, how do we find your information? But I really just wanted to know um, okay. <laughs> about your business. So um, I would love if you have anything to say to other special needs moms um, who might be feeling like they need a divorce. What, what would you say to them? It's really hard. It is. I know it's hard. I know you feel invisible. I know that you wish you had more support. Um, I do recommend couples counseling. Um, and if it works, it, it'll only enhance your marriage. Um, but um, definitely you know, do what you can to save it. Uh, this was definitely not my first choice at all. And I stayed 
for a very long time because um, it was, I, I thought I could save it, but you can't save it yourself. You, you need a partner. You need someone to support you and to sit there and cry with you and love you, no matter what you look like, no matter anything, you know? Um, but I would definitely do the counseling, for sure the counseling. Um, something I didn't do that probably would have enhanced my marriage a little bit more was self-care and whatever that looks like for you. For me, it was in the form of coffee, um, just a quick coffee, feel the warmness, I'm good to go. But then um, I didn't take care of myself. You know, I, I didn't allow myself to rest. I didn't stop. I, I love the fact that you take naps because that is like my jam. That's totally something I would do um, if I could just stop my brain. But um, definitely um, for people who are on the brink and who feel so helpless and hopeless, um, I would initiate counseling and taking care of yourself. And then if your partner is not amicable to counseling, then, you know, uh, there's your answer. Yeah. yeah, it's unfortunate. And, you know, I love that the first thing you said was that it's hard. It's really, really hard. There's nothing about our lives that's easy, really. There's nothing. There's not. No. So, you know, but, you know, it's hard. It's hard now. It's hard. It was hard then, you know, when you were married, right? Yeah. Um, and it's hard to get a divorce. Um, and it's hard yeah. to be a single mom. So which hard is better? You know, like it's yeah. all hard. It's all hard. So if being a single mom lets you be able to find yourself again, and not live in a toxic environment, then maybe that's a better hard. Yeah. And I want to raise my boys to be like really good men. Yeah. I feel a responsibility, especially to my younger two. We were, we were driving. Um, there's a, a, an amazing kosher restaurant here in Cincinnati. And there's a, a nail shop next to it, like where you get your nails done. And this was a few years ago. We had just moved out of the house and um, my youngest saw one of his teachers outside the nail shop. So I said to the boys, I said, when you get married, it is so important for you to allow your wife or partner to get their nails done they need to feel like a princess they need to feel good about themselves and then my middle son Hayden goes but shouldn't she feel like a queen and oh. I'm like yes you get it you understand um and so we're constantly talking about how a healthy relationship should look like um I still haven't told them the whole picture as to why I asked for a divorce and it's probably not appropriate for this particular podcast. Right. Um, but, you know, they feel my energy being more positive. They feel safe in my home. They feel, I even asked them, it's like, are you okay about the divorce? Yeah, we're fine. It's just a new normal, mommy. 
okay, great. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for um, that energy yeah. and just um, kids just being able to feel safe and just feel, they just, whether or not they can articulate it or understand exactly. what the difference is, if they can feel light and happy and yeah. fine and safe and able to say whatever they want and yes. um, laugh and, and be kids, mm-hmm. you know, then, then they, they know, they just yeah. know. They do. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing so many parts of yourself with us today. Um, this was a really powerful conversation and I appreciate um, you sharing a lot of things that are hard, Yeah, hard, but you know, there's so much to be said for us opening up um, yeah. those conversations and letting people know that they're not alone. Exactly. Got to pick your heart. That's right. 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 Which hard, which hard is the better hard, right? But it's all hard. <laughs> They're all hard. Right. Thank you so much. This was lovely. And I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you, Wendy Steinberg. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. If you want to learn more about how to take care of yourself along your parenting journey, join my free five-day challenge. It's called It's Your Turn because it is your turn. You give and you give and you give. It's time to pour back into yourself. It's your turn to be nurtured, to be taken care of. Join me for my tips and tricks to make it easy and possible in your busy life. Go to my website, larakitts.com to register. That's L-A-R-A-K-I-T-T-S.com. The challenge starts February 15th, 